Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. So last week, we learned that we're to reflect the relationship in a marriage, we're to reflect the relationship between Christ and his, and his bride, the church. And we learned that we have a bridal contract with Christ in his holy word. So <clears throat> yesterday, in men's breakfast, this stuck out to me in uh, the chapter we're stu- we were, were studying. And for those of you who have the book, it's on page 99. It says, as a church, we are the bride of Christ. God is preparing us for a vibrant marriage with him. He is allowing us to get to know him on the deepest level, spiritual, before we ever know him on a physical level. See, there's not going to be that day when we see him face to face. There's going to be that day. So there's a song out there that I like. Um, I never think of the name of it. But it's time, it's time to get ready. We're getting ready, you know. I could probably hum a bar too, but I'm not, I'm not going to. So, <laughs> so, the rabbis in ancient times insisted on the marriage couple entering into what they call a ketubah, and we talked about that. It's the contract. And the interesting thing about that contract is it was entered into, signed by the groom for the protection of the bride, for her protection. And then the ketubah, or the contract, is then handed to the bride for safekeeping. Are we keeping this safe? And the, what I mean by that is, is this word embedded in our heart? Do we know all our rights, privileges, and duties as put out by the scriptures? An interesting thing that this morning as I was praying... Um, and I'll be honest with you, you know, since, uh, uh, since Brenna passed, it's been a little hard at times to get in that place where I used to be, where I'd sing in the spirit and just let the Lord kind of flow and minister. But this morning I got to that place and it really felt good, but he started to show me something about a bride and a groom. One of the things that's interesting about a bride and a groom, that a bride has the right to influence her husband. He doesn't, she does not have the right to manipulate him, but she has the right to influence him. And so I was wondering, well, where do we, where do we take that? So he took me to uh, Abraham and the three visitors. And so I was looking at this, and I was starting to read it. And the interesting thing was that these guys came to visit. He prepared food for them. He called them Lord. He prepared food. They asked about his wife. And they got up to go, and the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the things that I do? That's an interesting thing. The groom is not supposed to hide anything from his bride. He's supposed to be transparent. In Ephesians chapter 5, it talks about being transparent. It says to submit one another to one another. It also says before that to be transparent, that light can shine. So he says, the Lord said to Abraham, because the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, the cry is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I'll go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it. And the men turned their faces to go, and Abraham drew near and said, 
Will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, this is a, this is a wife-husband relationship. Because remember, God called Israel his bride. You know, if there's like 50 righteous within the city, would you, would you destroy and not spare it for 50? So he's interceding. He's influencing. That would be far from you after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked. In verse 26, it says, this is in, in excuse me, Genesis 18. Probably should have said that. Um, the Lord said, if I find 50 in the righteous in the city, then I will spare it. And then Abraham says, well, you know, behold now, I don't want to get too forward in this, but peradventure, there shall lack five of the 50. Will you destroy the city for the lack of five? And he says, no, for the 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him again. He says, peradventure, there be 40. And you see how he goes on. He's talking. He's, he's just influencing him. And he finally gets down to the five. And God says, no. Or the angel there says, no, I will not destroy them for five. So they go into the city, and who do they find? Four. Lot, his wife, and two daughters. So he listened. He was willing. If they had found one more, Sodom and Gomorrah would have been spared. So let's look at another one in Exodus. This is Exodus 32. In verse 9, and the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. And now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them. You know, dads, kids, mothers, mom, leave me alone. I'm going to take care of that kid. (laughs) It's going to happen now. Just a minute, just a minute. He says, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath wax hot against the people, which you have brought forth from the land of Egypt, with great power and with your mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for, <laughs> for mischief did he bring them out, to slay them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce wrath and repent of this evil. See, God can repent. That against this evil of thy, against thy people. And remember, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom you swore in your own, by your own self and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and all this land I have spoken I will give to you and your seed and you shall have it forever. It says, and the Lord repented of the evil which he was about to do. I don't know about evil, but it was a judgment. So that's, that's influencing. Now, the Lord took me to some scriptures, and these are, these are kind of hard, but they're, they're important for what we're saying about the bride, since we are the bride. It says, Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a true wife finds a good, finds a great good. So ladies, you are great good. And to the Father, we are great good for his son. He has won the favor of God. So then in verse 20, or chapter 21, Proverbs 21, 9, it says, It is better to live in the corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. 21, 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful one. A continual dripping in chapter 27, verse 15. 
a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife or alike. So I was like, Lord, what am I going to do with this? <laughs> I didn't tell my wife about any of this. But the truth of the matter is, you know, he's talking about some things about Christ and the church. How many times do we go before the Father and it's, oh, God, why? Oh, God, you know, if you would just do this, I'll do that. I will, you know, just, just give me a sign. Just, I just need a sign, you know. And we, we, instead of going to the Father in faith, we go to the Father in need. And we go to the Father in need, then we start making bargains with the Father. We try to manipulate him. So then I was looking at um, judges. Excuse me. It looks like my, oh, there we are. <laughs> I thought I lost it. So I was looking at this, and you remember Samson and Delilah. First place, Samson's in a bad place. So in Judges uh, chapter 16, he's gone out to a woman of another religion. And so he's out there with a Canaanite woman who worships other gods. And he's put himself in her care. And so... He, she is obviously trying to find out what gives him his strength so that the Philistines can come and take it away from him. And so, as you read the story, she's saying, would you just tell me why you're so strong? Please tell me why you're so strong. And so he lies to her. And then, of course, she calls the Philistines. They come. They attack. They find out that wasn't it. And it goes on, and she's always trying to entreat him. She's always trying to work on him. She's always trying. I mean, she's using every trick of the book she had. And finally, she's come to this point. She's, he's been drinking, and he's been in her. He's just tired. He's just tired. Beating and beating and beating on him. He's tired and says, he says, I love you. How can I say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times. It's in verse 15. And has not told me where your strength lies. In verse 16, I thought was interesting. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. And finally, he says in verse 17, here it is. This is what happens. I was thinking about this because I know we oftentimes... um, we do get in that place where we're in faith, we're believing, but we get to a place sometimes where it's like, you know, God, if you would just do this, and of course, you know, it doesn't happen on your soul, but God, you know, if you would just do this, you know, things would be so much better. You know, if you would just, if you would just tell them to do whatever it is that you want them to do, then I wouldn't have to suffer with this and all would be good. You know, God, if you would just... And God doesn't ask us to do that. He asks us to influence him. How do we influence him? With words of faith. So the words of this contract that the bride holds. So the bride holds this contract, not the groom. But he signed it. This contract is what we use when we go to the father, when we go to the son. And we open it up and we see where it says, if you ask anything in my name and I shall do it for you. If you shall ask the Father anything of my name, he shall do it for you. Behold, I am with you always, 
But sometimes we forget about that and we get in that place where we're like trying to, well, just manifest yourself, Father. Just do it. Come on. And we try to treat him almost like a circus. You know, entertain us. Show us something. Show us something. And we become like Delilah. That's not our job. Our job is to be like Ruth, like Rebecca, like Rachel. You know, another thing, interesting thing about Rachel, after um, the servant went and got her for Isaac, and he's bringing her back, Isaac looked at her far off and he saw her and started walking towards her. And it says that he loved her. Now we think of the ooey gooey, ooh, feels so good. But no, he made a choice. Love is a choice. God made a choice. In John 3.16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So he gave his son for the bride. So then he got me into Proverbs 31. So is this, this is what we're supposed to be. Proverbs 31.10 through 31 says, Who can find a capable wife? Her value is far beyond that of pearls. Her husband trusts her with, from his heart, and she will prove a great asset to him. She works to bring him good and not harm all the days of her life. You know, when we think about our relationship with Jesus, are we doing what brings him good all the days? Sometimes that's a hard thing. She procures a supply of wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like those merchant vessels bringing her food from far away. <clears throat> it's still dark when she rises and gives food to her household and orders to the young women who serve her. She considers a field and then buys it. And from earnings, she plants a vineyard. You know, we're supposed to be doing things. We're not just supposed to be sitting around and be pampered. We're supposed to be doing things. We're supposed to bless the Father. We're supposed to bless Jesus. We're supposed to show that we are capable of doing what God has called us to do. Because he put his spirit in us, right? So we have everything we need. We've got the contract. We've got the seal of the contract with the Holy Ghost inside of us. It's time to get busy. <laughs> we need to be prepared. One of the things that I found interesting is the Lord was leading me down some different paths, and I, I always hope I write these down right or, or get them in my thought process right. But, you know, there's been kind of a thing in the body of Christ and, and just even with uh, um, in natural relationships with people that the idea in Ephesians, it says the idea of marriage is to show Christ in the church. So that's, that was kind of where we're at, show Christ in the church. We're to be that capable. One of the things I found over time, and I've, I've looked back, I think the first day, I, uh, last Saturday, I talked about how in times past, women were always preparing their hope chest. I hope when I get married, this is my hope chest that I'm taking this with me to the wedding. I'm going to have all my linens, I'm going to have all those things that I have worked on to supply to the household. Over the years, we've gotten away from that. Just don't do that anymore. We've gotten to the place about having careers. 
Got to have careers. There's big jumps in this. World War II came along. Had to have careers. The men were over fighting the war. We needed somebody to build tanks and airplanes, and the women came alongside, and they built them. That's why you never want to go to war with a woman. <laughs> they know how to build those things. Um, but there is, these things began to happen, and things began to come into the household where dynamics changed. And you'll see a lot of these dynamics now where, we've, where last week I talked about we have these times where people say, well, I just, we just want to be a partner because it's just a piece of paper. Um, yeah, he's just my partner. She's my partner. But we're like, you know, we're partners for a while and we're sharing the same bed and we're sharing, you know. But it's just a piece of paper, so why do we need that piece of paper? Why do I need to go before a judge? Why do I need to go before a pastor? So we've done that. And then we've come to this place where, well, I want a hyphenated name. Do you understand that when you became a Christian, when you became a Christian, you're no longer, I'm sinner Christian. You're now redeemed. I am his bride. I am, I take his name, Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I am a Christian. But we've got these hyphenated names because, well, I don't want to be so tied to you. So I'm going to have Jones hyphen Smith. So are you, why? And then it's even gone so far now in some places where the man takes the wife's last name. I mean, we start to see these mores start to break down in our culture. So when we try to talk to somebody about what it means to be the bride of Christ, they have no idea what that means. Anybody can get married. The same sex can get married. You can, get, you can actually, I read this a while ago, you can actually get married to your dog. There are places where you can go and get married to a pet. And you'll have this relationship with, you know, because I love this pet. These things have begun to creep in, and they start to creep in here. And this is the part, see, the world, we're, we're supposed to be, as, as people, not as a church, but as people, we're supposed to be separated from the world in the sense that you don't influence me, I influence you. I influence you with the truth, you don't influence me with the lies. But too often, we've come to this place about, uh, you'll hear about seeker-friendly churches, we want to be seeker-friendly. We don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. Uh, I know one church um, my wife went to with my sister, trying to find a good church for her, and the guy had a salvation message, and he didn't ask for any hands. He didn't ask for anybody to come up. He just said, you know, if you've prayed that prayer or you want to pray that prayer, just go see somebody in the back. There's a table in the back they could go back to, but they weren't actually given that place where here and now you've got a choice to make. We want to be seeker family. We don't want to put pressure on people. So then people who don't have pressure, I shouldn't say pressure, who feel that they can just do whatever, they get in this place where I can do whatever. I can be like Delilah. I can try to manipulate So 
So in verse 20, it says, she reaches out to embrace the poor and opens her arms to the needy. Excuse me. What did God call us to do? Open our arms. I, I heard this one time. I thought it was really good. It says, how do you, how do you, this is back when HIV and AIDS was kind of making this scene and everybody's running scared, but um, this one pastor says, how do, you, how do you hug somebody? How do you love somebody that has HIV or AIDS? That's what you do. Come on. You hug them. You love them. You don't sit there and convict them of their sins. They know. <laughs> they know they're in the mess they're in because of. But that's what we were supposed to do. So what do we do today when people have issues? Do we do this or do we do this? And then do we influence them in the truth? Because the truth is what's going to set them free. So she makes, it says, when it snows in verse 21, she has no fear for her household since all of them are doubly clothed. She makes her own quilts. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the city gates when he sits with the leaders of the land. Are we making Jesus known at the city gates? You know, oftentimes it's, uh, we, we do this as people. We get in a situation and sometimes we don't really want to bring Christ into it because, you know, we don't want to. It gets back to the thing about a seeker-friendly church. We don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable, so I'm not going to bring Christ into it. I'm not going to honor my husband in this situation. What I'm going to do is I'll ease my way in, and then maybe sometime I'll get a chance to tell him about Christ, about my husband. <coughs> Excuse me. She makes linen garments and sells them. She supplies the merchants with sashes. Clothed with strength and dignity, she can laugh at the days to come. You know what? You're clothed. You're clothed with that. You are clothed with strength and dignity, and we can laugh at the days to come. You know, there's a lot of this stuff out there about end times where people are like, what's going to happen? Is the devil coming? Is it the end times? Are we going to have to take the mark? So she can laugh at the days to come. Why is that? <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you, Herb. <laughs> it says that she, when she opens her mouth, she speaks wisely. On her tongue is loving instruction. We're supposed to have loving instruction. Our tongue is supposed to be sweet. She watches how things go in her house, not eating the bread of idleness. I'll tell you one thing I found out being, uh, being retired. It's pretty easy to get idle. I mean, if you don't find something else to do, I mean, you can. You can become idle. And you can sit there and, well, we'll just see what happens. We'll just let it come. Her children arise, and they make her happy. Her husband, too, as he praises her. You know, Jesus praises us. You, know, you feel in the Holy Spirit when, you, when you're out there, and you just feel that, yeah, he's satisfied with me. He's happy with me. It says, many women have done wonderful things, but you surpassed them all. 
Charm can lie, beauty can vanish, but a woman who fears Adonai should be praised. Give her a share of what she produces and let her works speak her praises at the city gates. I thought that was interesting because if you go to 1 Corinthians 3.13, there's a scripture that ties to this. It says, but each one's work will be shown for what it is. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test the quality of each one's work. There's a day coming when this work that's supposed to speak our praises is going to be tested by fire before the Father. And let each man's work stand. And if you read that in 1 Corinthians, it talks about the things that we can build. So 1 Corinthians 3. And we go down to verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereupon. Verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if a man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work for what sort it is. And if any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire." Or as a man has gone through fire. Our days ahead of us as the bride of Christ are going to be different. They're going to be difficult at times. I think we just have to understand that. I mean, God told us it's going to happen. But he prepared us and he told us to go out and do good works. We're supposed to be this woman, this bride who works with her hands who opens her arms to the poor, who blesses God so that people know who's sitting in the gates. See, Jesus is coming someday. We don't know when. He said he doesn't know when. He said only the Father knows. But he's coming. We're like that bride who's waiting with our possibles, with our hope chest. But you'll notice in those days when she, was, she wasn't sitting down waiting for him to come. Like, any day now, Bob. <laughs> Show right up, you know. Time's a-wasting. No. She was this woman. Even before she was married, she was this woman. She, her hands were not idle. She was preparing. Always preparing. And sometimes we forget. One of the things I, f- I find interesting when I'm, when I'm reading this, because guys and gals <clears throat> here on earth, we have, we have what we have, our roles, right? And sometimes to take the guys to turn that role to say, now I'm the bride, it's kind of a hard switch, <laughs> you know, to submit to a husband. 
which got me to the Lord bringing me to this. So how are you, gentlemen, treating your bride? And would you want Jesus to treat you that way? And I didn't like my answer. <laughs> I can do better. But I found that in that relationship, because in Ephesians where it talks about, but I speak as Christ in the church. I know none of you have ever done this. But Louie and I used to come into church once in a while holding hands, but if you'd have seen us before we stepped out of the car. <laughs> yeah. But we'd come into church holding hands and praise God. Bless you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, you know, we do that as, as carnal humans. You know, I mean, when I say carnal, not sinful, just carnal. It's our flesh, you know. But Jesus does not want to let go of our hand. Jesus wants to take us in there in joy and in peace. And so when I look at that and I look how a man is supposed to treat his wife here on earth, I'm like, am I representing my Savior to my wife in such a way that she knows she's loved as Christ loved the church and that people around me can see that I love my wife as Christ loved the church. You know, in, in creation, when God made Adam and Eve, he made Adam to be aggressive. He did. People don't, you know, well, no, he was just soft and, you know, just living in the garden. But no, he was to tend it. And he, when he fell, it's when he decided not to be aggressive. He stood there while his wife took the apple and then when nothing happened to her, instead of at that, at that time, redemption was there. But at that time, instead of doing that and getting after the devil and getting him out of there and taking her before the Father and said, Lord, forgive us because he let her do it. Instead of doing that, he took a bite. And so now today we've got this thing where um, uh, God said that, you know, that the woman's desire would be for the man. It's not a good desire for the man. I want to put in her that I'm going to overcome the man. I'm going to be the boss. And so what do we have in the world today? Oh, we've got to have a woman president. Why? Because it's a woman. No, what we want is we want the best president. I don't care if it's a man or a woman. But, you know, we want the best president. We don't want just some, excuse me, some just because they're of a different sex. You know, everything we do on this planet, I'm finding we are slowly, the world, not we as the church, but the world is slowly separating that, bringing it apart. It's a slow process, but the devil's been at it over time. And he wants, I wrote in here one time, I think when we were doing our marriage ministry, um, I wrote in here that the devil has three objectives. Number one is to separate you from your spouse. Number two is to separate you from your God. And number three is to separate you from your body. 
That's his job. So how does he separate you from your wife? Contention. See, a lot of people, you know, we've heard about the toxic masculinity. Well, it's because men are aggressive. We're supposed to be aggressive. We're not supposed to be aggressive towards our wives. We're supposed to be aggressive for our wives. And people say, I want you to be more like Jesus. He wasn't aggressive. Well, I don't know. I can imagine him here sitting there putting those cords together for that whip and just like, mm. we're going to see this. And when he walked up to the leaders of the church and he says, you white-throated sepulcher full of dead men's bones, you don't even know the law that you think you know. So was he aggressive? But was he aggressive in a good way? Yeah. And honestly, how many of you gals want your husband to be that guy that says, well, I know he's, the guy's trying to bang in the door, but you know, if we just wait, maybe he'll go away. If we just, you know, I don't really want to get into confrontation here. I just, you know, well, honey, why don't you go answer the door and I'll stand back here. And if you need help, I'll be with you. <laughs> and you can all look at that and you laugh. And you, but I'll tell you what, the church, a lot of the church is getting that way. But the world is getting that way. And they're calling us weird when we open the door for our wives. Why do I open the door for my wife? There's two reasons. Number one, it's because I honor her. Number two is I protect her. So sometimes when I think about that, when I don't get around to that door, she's on the other side of the car. She's away from me. But if I can be there and open the door, I'm between her and somebody out here. I wouldn't call myself a real aggressive personality, but when I walk out of a store, I'm looking around. She might be on her phone or she might be thinking about the next place we're going to go, but I'm looking around. I'm not looking for a fight, but I'm looking around. And if there's somebody that I'm not too, don't have a really good feeling about, I'll be watching him and I'll make sure I make eye contact with him. I know you. I see you. I'm going to aggressively be in that position of protecting my wife. And that's what Jesus does. He aggressively protects us with the Holy Spirit. You ever notice when you walk out someplace and you get that, ah, something's not right here. Maybe I'll go this way. I mean, he could just say, hey, Mike, take a left. Why? Okay, whatever. He takes the right, boom, falls into that accident. Um, I'm going to tell a story on my wife, and I'm probably going to tell it wrong. She can clarify it later. <laughs> but two things happened. She was out playing with the kids one day. Brenna and Jared were running around, and she was out there in the pasture running with them and just enjoying the day, running and enjoying the day. And our pasture's a little rough. You know, it's got horse tracks and all sorts of things. She heard the Spirit tell her, slow down. And she said to herself, probably, but I'm having so much fun. So the next thing you know, she steps on a rough spot and she sprains her ankle that puts her in a cast for six weeks. So this, she didn't pay attention. She got hurt. So then, <clears throat> excuse me, she's driving to Columbus one day 
And she heard, slow down. Yeah, but I'm late. Speed up, slow down. Yeah, but I'm late. Speed up, slow down. Okay, she slows down, gets down the roadways, and all of a sudden there's a tractor <laughs> taking up the whole road, and it would have been in a spot that she wouldn't have seen. He was aggressively trying to protect her. That's what he's trying to do to us as the bride of Christ. He's aggressively trying to protect us. We as men need to show that to our wives so our sons learn how to protect their wives. And that our daughters know to look for a man who is going to stand up and protect them. Um, I'm going to go to Ephesians 5. Some of these things aren't in my notes. You can't tell. Because I blurted it out there. But there's this thing. So in Ephesians 5, we'll go to verse 25. And it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. I have fallen so short on this. He's washed us with the word. Are we supposed to wash our wives with the word? And how do we do that? <laughs> Gee, honey, let's look at the Bible. <laughs> We're supposed to wash them with the water of the word because Christ has washed us with the water of the word. It says, even so husbands should love their wives as being, in a sense, their own body. See, he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and carefully protects and cherishes it as Christ does the church. We have a great responsibility as men. But women have a great responsibility to receive. How can I protect if she won't come under my protection? How can I wash her in the water of the word if I'm not doing it? How can I wash her in the water of the word if she's not receiving it? The body, this body that he put us in, this husband and wife relationship has significance if we look at it in light of the scriptures. The significance is we show Christ daily when we die to ourselves and we love others as Christ loved us. I have to show that by how I love her. This in here tells me that I have to die to myself as Christ did. So what did he do? He physically died. I want you to understand something. When he went to the cross as a lamb to the slaughter, he was aggressively fighting what the devil was trying to do to him. When he was in the garden, he was aggressively in prayer. He was aggressively, Father, if there's any way, 
But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Your will, Father. And I'm going to go to that cross. I'm going to take that beating. You can't do that being a milk toast. You can't do that. And the wife wouldn't respect a milk toast. You ever think about that? It says wives, it says respect your husbands. It doesn't tell the wives to love their husbands. I always thought that was interesting. It tells the husband to love his wife. Now, does it make that choice? Love her? Show the world you love her? What does that love mean? Sacrifice? What does it tell the wife to do? Respect. Respect your husband. Respect that love. So when Christ died and won us the victory, down in verse 32 in Ephesians 5, it says, this mystery is very great, but I am speak concerning the revelation of Christ and the church. However, let each man of you, without exception, love his wife as being, in a sense, his very own self, and let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband. Do you know the guys need a cheerleader? We do. We honestly do. It seems kind of weird, but the things we do, we need somebody to notice them. That you're doing okay. That was a good job. It says, respects and reverences her husband, that she notice him, regards him, honors him, prefers him, venerates and esteems him, and that she defers to him, praises him, and loves and admires him exceedingly. That's in the Amplified. But that is, that is our job as the body of Christ. We are to love him, admire him, praise him, worship him, call him Lord, because he is our Lord. As the body of Christ, that's what we're supposed to do. We are the bride. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.